Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Timsa Leadership Podcast. My name is Eric Claus, and I have the honor to be able to be your host. My guest today is an 18-year-old young man that just graduated from high school in May of 2023. He is a new EMT. He is an amazing young leader, a speaker, and has an incredible work ethic. This conversation is special for me today because it was recorded on Father's Day with my son, Chris. Well, Chris, this is so cool for us to be able to be here today. Thank you for being here. I'm super excited to be here, Dad. <laughs> it's, it's surreal that we're uh, doing this podcast together today. It is. Because both of us are absolute podcast fiends. We listen to podcasts 24-7, and to be on a podcast together, I never thought would happen, at least at this, po- at, at this stage in my life. You know, I was hoping I'd be on a podcast eventually one day. <laughs> but to be on it with my dad is cool. Well, and and for me too. Why are you interested in medicine? Yeah, well, that's a question I still ask myself some some All days. Right, let's hear it. So, I mean, growing up, every single the the large majority of our family is in the medical field. At least the part of it that lives in Tennessee. Yeah. So, growing up you were in the medical field mom was in the medical field uncles and aunts were in the medical field so I mean it was kind of all that Rachel and I knew and growing up I didn't want to be in medicine because you were in emergency medicine I was like I don't want that I don't I don't want to I don't I don't want the blood and guts okay why did you you feel that way I guess I was grossed out because I was a kid okay but we didn't we didn't really push that on you but I guess no, you didn't push it on on me because I, I had wanted wanted to be an engineer okay. for the longest time because that's what my grandfather is, yeah. and then freshman. I actually I, I I'm I'm glad I remembered this because I'll say this eighth grade summer. Okay, we were living at my, our grandparents' house, transition transitioning to move to the farm, and I had a dream one night. <laughs> You've never told me this. I had a dream one night. And somebody like sat me down and said, you should be an allergy doctor. Dead serious. (laughs) Okay. And from that moment on, ever since that day, I knew I wanted to be a physician or I wanted to have some piece of the puzzle in medicine. Some form of medicine. You know, so that's that's pretty cool. You know, I started watching all the YouTube videos about it and then junior year hits and you know Greg Johnson and all of them from C-State and you asked them, can 17-year-olds go through EMT school? Yeah. And they're like, I don't see why not. So you you told me, well, you better go to EMT school to see if you like this. Yeah. To see, to get your feet in the water a little bit. And yeah. I went and it pushed me out of my comfort zone for sure. But I think I enjoy it. <laughs> what what I, was it like going to EMT school? It was a little bit of a unique experience for one because it's right like i started emt school the week i finished junior year yeah so i got i finished school like a wednesday and then i our orientation was friday or something like that yeah so there wasn't really a light at the end of the tunnel for me like some of my classmates are like oh man i want to get in the fire service i you know one semester away from getting getting a job in the fire service i'm like one semester away from going to my senior year So I'm still in school. I'm still doing doing schoolwork. Yeah. So it was kind of hard for me to see the light at the end of the tunnel. 
as far as school goes, but it was a different school experience than the high school, obviously. Yeah. It's more, it was more rigorous for me. It was more intense because for one, the instructors kind of make it intense because you're dealing with something that's severe, yeah. obviously, somebody's health. They should make it intense. Um, so there was a lot of pressure around that and just to perform well. And they're like, man, if you don't make it 80, you're not going to pass. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's kind of like, well, I hope I'm not one of the two people that drop out because there's 15 of, of us and st the statistics say two of you are going to go. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm like, please, dear Lord, don't let me be that one of those two people. But, you know, Rachel was such a tryhard in school and she studied so much and watching her grow up, I kind of adopted the same habit. So it, it wasn't difficult for me to make myself sit down and study and once I got in the rhythm, I was fine, yeah. but it was, it was difficult because I was young. And like I said, I couldn't really see the light at the end of the tunnel. Everything that was being taught to me was a hundred percent new, a hundred percent new. It's not like I had any former education, you yeah. know? So, yeah. I mean, it was, it was good. I'm, I wouldn't change it for anything. We got to connect on a different level because you would come home and I was hearing things I haven't heard 30 years ago. I was an EMT back in 1986 and you were talking to me about things and it connected us on in a bond you just because you were like wow did do you remember this or tell me about this call one of the coolest things for me that i wanted you to talk about was we got it approved for you to work an event with me mm -hmm. and you got to do it so i want to paint the picture and i want you to talk about what it was like for you seeing this for the first time. So we work an event medicine event. It's a huge race. It's televised. Tens of thousands of people that are there. The medical team was physicians and nurses and paramedics. And there was a command center bus. Like it was a real deal. And we got it approved and we got to go. And I knew, you know, as you know, someone that has precepted before, I wanted to get you to not just hang out with me, you hang out with me all the time, but to introduce you to different people and you to hang out. So we're there, it's early in the morning, and you're excited. I know you are just it, just the environment. And tell us about we're minutes into this. Mm -hmm. And you're with an amazing group, an, an amazing team. And tell us about that experience, which by the way, was your first of this kind that you got to experience. So tell us about that, Chris. Yeah, I had been on a few, like, I might've been on three or four clinicals riding on the 911 ambulance prior to um, this event. But this was an intense call, like you said, and I was with two nurses and it was about 30 minutes after the fans were let in the stadium. And a kid, he's, he's not that old, runs down the stairs and runs to us and says, CPR in progress, dude just collapsed on the second floor. And I'm like, is this real right now? Because I, at this point, I'm like, eh, cardiac arrest isn't that often. It doesn't happen right, right, that yeah. often. I don't think that it does happen that often. Sure. And it, it was just completely, I felt like I was living in some fiction world. When, when, that, when that guy said that, I'm like, is this really happening? So tell us the story. Yeah. Like, so we're running up the stairs. We... I'm following after these nurses and I'm trying to put my gloves on and my thumb rips <laughs> through my gloves because my hands are sweating so bad. And um, 
we get up there and we run through the back of a concession stand right out to where the guy's laying down and a paramedic's already doing CPR and he, they already got a, uh, they're already breathing for him and stuff. And they put the AED on him and they shock him. I don't know if it was the first or the second shock. It might've been the first. And the guy wakes up and he punches the dude that's giving him CPR breathing for one of the two right in the face. And he's like, get the F off me. You, you know, he's cussing us out. And I'm like, wow. I'm like, guy just wakes up from cardiac arrest and his first words is just going to cuss the paramedic out. Good grief. Is this dude possessed or something? <laughs> so you've never seen anything. Never like seen this. anything like this, but I'm holding his feet down. And okay. this guy is probably north of 250 pounds. <laughs> I mean, he's a big guy. And they give him some medicine that calm him down. And then they wheel him out to the stretcher. Helicopter comes. I get, I get to be a part of loading him. So, I mean, I got to see the full process of things. And it was it was life changing. <laughs> <laughs> but let let us say the outcome of this guy. He survived a hundred percent neurologically intact, has been in touch with the providers, and it was the perfect scenario of survivability with an AED and a team and it could not have been any more perfect literally hundred uh, percent like it literally. could not have been scripted this was like a scenario that you play out just to be okay well they survived well this yeah. actually happened yeah like a, a minute into the guy collapsing that we're already doing CPR and stuff <laughs> like you can't you can't make this stuff up no a hundred percent so you finished your whole senior year as an EMT but you couldn't work and you are about two weeks into working as an EMT on the BLS unit. And what has that experience been like for you, Chris? Yeah, let me take you back to right after EMT school because I didn't know I wouldn't be able to work throughout my senior year. I was expecting to work throughout my senior year because I had my license at that yes. point, but I didn't have my high school diploma, right. so I couldn't work, right. which was, it was a blessing and a, and a disappointment. I, I get it. I understand why and everything, but... Yeah, and, oh, and I, I almost forgot to say this because I want to bring this back up that you mentioned how it kind of tight that EMT EMT experience tightened our relationship. Yeah. I want to say that I have a different respect for you now because I didn't realize how challenging EMT school was, and that said how challenging paramedic school is, and then how challenging nursing school is on top of that. That you went through all of <laughs> all three of those things. And I will say I have doubted your intelligence. <laughs> Listen, let me just say this. Uh, yes, I'm aware. <laughs> You've never told me this before, so I'm soaking it up. I'm gonna hit. I'm gonna hit like continue to replay on this. <laughs> I have previously doubted your intelligence, but I have a little bit of a different respect for you now. Yes. So I'm glad I could say that on the podcast. Well, well, thank you, Chris. Uh, but you know what? In on on a serious note as well as I do for you, because I couldn't do anything for you in class. In fact, I think it was harder on you because I knew the instructors and they knew me mm. for years. And I felt like you you weren't like another student that was, was just getting into it. So I kind of felt bad for you because I knew naturally your, the, the expectations were maybe falsely created and you completely shined. And 
I, I, I couldn't do anything. This was your yeah. trip, and you know we were there and supportive and, and helpful, and you know answered some clarifying questions or whatever. But it was a cool journey for you, and uh, it's it's been cool. So tell yeah. us about what it's been like. Like you you are on the truck. You're 18 years old. You and your partner. Your partner's like 19. Mm-hmm. You're making calls. Yes, it's BLS, but I, I'm not even going to say anything <laughs> because I want to say tell us about some stuff that you're seeing because life has come at you like you've come home and be like oh my gosh i saw this but anyway walk us through it man yeah so this past week at the time we're recording this was my first week on the truck just with my partner i'm not with the trainer anymore okay and neither of us have any experience (laughs) on the truck both of us are completely new to ems he just got out of EMT school this past fall. So we're brand new EMTs. And <laughs> we're on a box truck, too. We're not even in the van. So we have to drive around the box truck, which is fine. You know, I- I'm glad I'm getting this experience because it's making me uncomfortable and I'm growing a ton. I feel like I've lived five years in the past week. But <laughs> I'm not kidding you. Our first day, our very first day by ourselves, we don't we hardly even know how to communicate with dispatch over the radio okay (laughs) (laughs) everything is just so stimulating that somebody like you you would probably take for granted because you've been in the field for 30 40 years or whatever yeah and everything is just hyper stimulating to us because we we don't have much experience you know i mean we've wrote als calls and stuff but to do it by yourselves to call the shots even though it's bls i mean we're not saving anybody's life hopefully we don't have some crazy experience (laughs) but you know it's just everything is you're paying attention to every detail like when it so it's it's been cool it's been cool but one of your last shifts you were in the back or you were in the passenger seat and you pulled up and what happened that was in a very embarrassing thing for you (laughs) i was riding in the passenger seat but i mean it was just it was just as embarrassing for me too (laughs) So my partner and I, we pull up under the emergency department, you canopy, know, yeah. canopy, and we're pulling up under there and somehow or another, I go to get out of my door and I just start <laughs> here, here, I start to hear sirens going off and I'm like, golly, <laughs> and he accidentally flipped the switch on and he doesn't know really how to turn it off for about a few seconds. <laughs> and so he panics and he turns the button off, but we're under that awning and it's going, and people out there there's people out there there's a bunch of trucks under there too there's people holding their ears out there oh my gosh but you know it's just a part of being new you know it's 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 a funny it's it's funny to be new yeah but you know i appreciate it i appreciate the newness of it because you can only be new once you can (laughs) only be a true beginner one time yeah and so I'm trying to soak all this in. It, it's been it's been fun. It has. Well, I'm going to make you feel better, and everybody else that's listening that you know may be thinking about getting into this is we as experienced providers we don't talk about this stuff because other things replace those just because of they've all happened to us. A hundred percent, they have happened to us. But to hear you know your newness and your appreciation, and it's part of the journey, and that is what. I think that's what makes it so exciting. And uh, you said something to me, serious though. I, I want to to uh, share in, you know, when you come home, we'll try to wait up for you. You work kind of a, you know, you get off pretty late. And 
when I'm able, I like to hear when you come in, it's like, you know, how was your day? And, you know, you decompress, which is, you know, a, a safe thing. You said something to me uh, the other day about you, you don't want, you, like, you really feel like you have an opportunity to talk to the patients. They're non-critical, but you mentioned something about you did not want them to feel like a burden. You wanted them to feel important. Do you remember yeah. saying that to me? Yeah, I remember. Tell, tell us, a, like, dive deeper into that, Chris, because that is a very, very powerful statement that you yeah. made. Yeah, so BLS calls, you're transporting people that are so weak or they're, they're amputee that they can't walk. Yeah. So, I mean, already they may kind of have the perception of if they're, as if they were a burden to the society. Okay. Period. Because they can't even contribute to the yeah. society. They're just using the hospital, you know, they can't work, they can't do anything. Yeah. You know, and w so to them, it may seem like we're coming out of our way mm -hmm. on the ambulance to pick them up and take them to wherever they need to go. And I don't want them to have that perception. So anything I can do to break that perception down and make them feel like, you know, I want to help you. Mm -hmm. This is why I'm doing this job. You're not a burden to me. Like you make my job easy when you, when you talk to me and stuff. Yeah. And like it, it, when they see that I have true compassion for them and their health and I want to take good care of them and just make them feel good just by cracking a joke or something, then I feel like that's better yeah. than some medications you can give them, yeah. you know, when you just are friendly to them for sure. And for that reason, I don't like to sit in the captain's seat a lot of the time. I sit up there on the bench by the patient, look okay. them eye in the eye because I don't have to put a tourniquet on them because they're bleeding out or something crazy. Yeah. You know, I have the opportunity to really connect with them on a personal level. Yeah. So... That's what I've kind of already experienced in the... And you've seen it not done. I have seen yeah, it not for done. Sure. For and, sure. You know, we, we have heard one of the physicians uh, that we know uh, very well, it talks about that, is that that is the difference maker on your patients because most of the patients are not critical and are not dying. You're able to talk to the families and you're able to let them know that you care by making sure they're okay and your compassion it is a game changer. I th that that's a powerful thing, Chris, because the the people that are listening to this and this this applies in life. When people know that we care because we listen, it is the one of the best forms of medicine and and communication in the world. Yeah. And you are learning it and you're getting to see it. It's such a powerful thing that you're that you're modeling behavior like that and you know the meaning. And um that, that kind of leads me into leadership. You are, uh, you are a, a, a truly a remarkable leader for your age. Your potential, the, the, the way that you have grown and what you do is very, very powerful. And I'm not just saying that because you're my son, because you, you're creating your own path. Is there an experience that you have had that you realize, like, most people don't understand leadership and leading yourself. You do. You, you've been in this house. You, we're podcast junkies. We listen to things. We share things back and forth. And I don't make you do that. Um, you don't make me do that. It's just an, an interest of a learning and growing. But when did you really feel like, man, I have the ability to influence and lead people? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know if there was a specific exact experience 
when I kind of took on a leadership mindset. Okay. But when we were kids, you always told Rachel and I, you know, you are leaders. You have influence over people, whether you like it or not. And just by going to the conferences where you would speak about leadership, we would learn, we would learn about those things. So it was kind of always taught to us. And then I became more confident as I got older, obviously. And a part of that was I gained confidence to public speak. And I've, I've public speak since like the seventh or eighth grade, you know, and people have always told me I'm good at it. Yeah. And people look up to me in that regard. So I know I'm a leader in that, in that sense. Yeah. So like people, people have looked up to me for different things, but it makes me feel like I can lead a group of people or communicate a vision with them when I'm up in the room speaking. You know, it's a really tangible way to make me feel like a leader. Yeah. So public speaking for me, especially in the past two years, have been an absolute vital part of that. So people are probably thinking, okay, you're 18 years old, you're talking about public speaking, you, and you do it. In fact, you did it twice today. And tell us, you know, what you're talking about with public speaking. Where do you public speak at, at 18 years of age? And how do you have influence? And I'm just asking, like, I know, yeah. but for those of that are thinking, okay, here's Chris, he's 18, he talks about public speaking, he talk, speaking, he talks about influence. Where's this happening for you, man? Yeah. So I'll take this back to a few years ago. I listened to this pastor and he told, and he's a world-class pastor. He's a world-class scholar too. And um, he, in, in college, he was terrified to public speak. And one day at chapel, or he had the opportunity to pray or something. And he said, Lord, if you get me through this, I'm never going to deny a public speaking opportunity again. And from that moment on, he's, he's taken advantage of his public speaking opportunities and he's a pastor and everything, but he is an amazing speaker. And so I was like, man, that's inspiring, you okay. know? And especially as a new public speaker, anytime somebody would give me the opportunity to speak, I would take it. Mm -hmm. So I was in speech class like in ninth grade and I had the opportunity to, to speak at the Rotary Club in Columbia with seniors and I was a freshman. Yep. I, I, you were there. You, I was you remember there. that. Yes, I do. So, and you did it again your senior year. Yeah, and I did it again my senior year. So, I mean, I, every opportunity I have had to public speak, I've taken it. And this past year has been a little bit more of that. You know, since I'm a senior, I've had more opportunities. And um, at, and at church, you and at church, yeah, I've had opportunities yeah. to public speak. A vital part of that too something that's helped me tremendously is I I teach Sunday school to the kids yeah uh, maybe once a month and talking to kids you know if you can talk to kids and speak to kids you can speak to anybody because you got to be charismatic you got to have a clear a clear point to yeah. communicate with them it can't be wishy-washy yeah. with them uh, and it's got to be pretty quick to keep their attention so and you've had a lot of practice and a lot of mentors. Yeah. I, I wanted to share with you th this experience because I, I really want to know is <clears throat> during graduation, there were several of you that got to speak and you were one of them. And I, it was such a, a, an interesting moment for me in the audience. There's like 500 people in the audience, four or 500 people. You delivered a speech. We recorded it like 12 minutes long your ability to feel comfortable on a stage with mostly adults 
was unbelievable. As a speaker, and as you could say, a professional speaker, and I've been doing it for 20 years, watching you, I was nervous for you, by the way, but the way that you did that, and I, here's the, the point that I wanted to make, Chris, is that leading up to your speech, the amount of preparation that you did, I don't want people to think that you just have the natural ability. Like, you have such a work ethic. Your mom and I watched you practice on the porch through the window hours, and you did this weeks beforehand. Yeah. Tell us about your, how do you prepare to deliver a speech the, the way that you do? Because you do it for small audiences and big audience, but yeah. walk us through that, man. It's, it's a very powerful, inspiring thing for me as a speaker to learn. And I don't know your answer, by the way, so tell us. Yeah. For me, stories is everything. If I can give a, a quick, relatively quick, charismatic story to begin with that I can really connect with the audience, that changes the whole atmosphere. And that speech you're referring to, I never really felt like the audience was connecting with me on the level I expected them to, which was a big learning experience for me. But I was completely comfortable giving the speech. But in that regard, I kind of missed, missed the mark on that. But what I'll do is I'll develop some sort of story, you know, that, like, for example, I gave a speech at our chapel. And I was able to use an example that connected with the like the middle schoolers and the high schoolers and then use an example that connected with the parents sitting there so it draw them both in and to do that if you do that successfully you connect with everybody in the room because anybody can public speak if they're having a conversation right because you're speaking to the individual you're not speaking to the group of people the group will feed off of each other um, that's why comedy is such a powerful thing when you're, mm -hmm. <laughs> you go to a comedy that everybody's feeding off each other and laughing, which is, is either your worst nightmare or absolute blessing. <laughs> so if you can speak to the individual and, and have a conversation with somebody and get a clear point across, you can public speak. Yeah. If, if you, you just have to, the reason I like to prepare so much is because I like to know what I'm about to say when I get up there. I don't want to, I don't want my nerves to come from, oh my goodness, I don't know what I'm about to say, or I don't know how this is going to go because man, I've never really worked it out before. Mm -hmm. I need to know exactly how it's going to go. And it, and it just makes, it, it removes all my nerves when I, when I know what I'm talking about. The, the flow that you talked about for those of you that have never you know, done speech or, or conference and so forth, the longer you do it, the easier it becomes because you have stories that you've already tested before. So you don't have any of that experience. And when, and you were talking about learning a valuable lesson, you had people hanging like, I, I don't know which way to go. And then you summed it up in a beautiful package with a bow in the conclusion was so powerful so that is what impressed me about that. I was like, oh my gosh. And you continued to flow. And by the end, a standing ovation with 500 people in the room was crazy. And um, it, it was a powerful moment. And I, you, you and I can connect on that, you know, with preparing. And there was some advice that I gave you and some tips and so forth. But this kind of it leads me into to this is that You've accomplished a lot of things at such a young age, and I know that you're going to accomplish more, but your, your mom and I very intentionally 
never praised you for your accomplishments. Mm-hmm. We've always tried to praise you for your discipline and your hard work and your work ethic because that is what's going to carry you. There'll come a time when you get the position and you're there, but the progress and that you're making uh, is such a powerful thing. So I think some of us miss the mark of like, we're so proud of you for getting straight A's. Well, your mom and I's approach only because we learned it's like, Chris, Rachel, we're so proud of you for how hard you worked to get the grade you wanted. It was never about the A's. And your progress and your discipline, walk us through, you you have a regiment of disciplines that you still use. Walk us through a normal day for you where you get up and uh, before you go to work, what do you do typically on an average day? Yeah. So this wanna, is every day, by the way, your, your consistencies is what I'm asking. Yeah. I want to say this too. You mentioned my discipline and not focusing necessarily, necessarily on my accomplishments, but focusing on how I got there. Yeah. You said one day we were driving, you're like, John Maxwell says you need to be growth oriented, not goal oriented. Mm. Yes, Chris. And, Tell me more, man. This is awesome. <laughs> do it. And that is absolutely true you know you can you can have goals to because it's good to have goals to some extent because you have to have something to aim at but if you once you aim at it and once you accomplish it what's next yes so you have to be growth minded you have to wake up every day and say i need to learn something today i need to take on a curious mindset a growth oriented mindset and learn something so that's kind of my, my fuel i would say and my fuel behind my discipline and Jocko Willink says discipline eats motivation for breakfast, <laughs> which <laughs> is a hundred percent true because if you think about it, the reason why he says that is because when you're disciplined, you don't have to use any effort to, to do what you want to do. Like every, every one of you listening to this does not exert any effort to brush your teeth because you're disciplined at brushing your teeth. You do it every single day, hopefully twice a day. When you get up in the morning, when you go to bed at night, it takes no effort to do that. And it, it's, it comes easy to you, um, the things you're disciplined for. So the day in the life of me, this is how it goes. I, I wake up. I Right now, I do 140 push-ups in the morning, 140 push-ups at night. And if I don't do them, my whole day is completely ruined. Okay, so it, I have to do those push-ups. There's no other way. Can I ask you a question about yeah. this before you go? Are yeah. you motivated to do it? Or are you just disciplined? I hate doing push-ups. Okay, so I'm going to stop because this is such a powerful leadership thing that I, I want to take the time before you go on is most of the things that I do is exactly what you said. I didn't think we were going to go here on this on this podcast is I am not motivated to listen to podcasts, Chris. Mm -hmm. I am not. I don't like to do it at 5.30 in the morning when I get in the car, but the discipline that it is, and I think that motivation is so overrated. It just doesn't exist in the moment. You're like, oh, I'm motivated to do it. The next day when you got to get up at five o'clock in the morning and nobody's waking you up, that is where the discipline, are you doing it because you said you're going to do it or are you going to let yourself off easy? Yeah. And that that's a powerful thing. So I really appreciate you going down there talking about the difference between discipline and motivation. Yeah. Motivation in my, in my world does not exist. But I can tell you 
on a, a, another level of this, I get motivated after I have the discipline to do oh, it. Oh, yeah. Most definitely. So are you motivated after you do 140 push-ups? Yeah. Okay. 100%. So my whole point, like we could do the mic drop right now to understand that the motivation comes after the discipline. Yeah, that's a very good point. And discipline, when you're truly disciplined, because it takes probably, there's scientific disagreements about this, but somewhere between 30 and 60 days to form a habit. Okay. And when you're disciplined at this habit, it becomes subconscious. Like, like I said before, you're brushing your teeth, that's a subconscious activity. You're not exerting effort to brush your teeth. Same thing for me, like when I get up and w make my bed in the morning. So you it's do that too, right? It's subconscious. Okay. So yeah, here I'll, I'll jump back Let's in. Let's do it. After I do my push-ups, I get in the shower, do all that, make my bed, then... I'm a Christian and I'm I'm not ashamed to say that. So I read my Bible for the first 30 minutes of the, of the day. Um, after I do that, I, I spend some time meditating and praying too. And um, then I eat, I eat the same breakfast every day. My oatmeal, half cup of oatmeal with a banana, you know, some cinnamon. And people are like, man, that life is so boring. <laughs> Well, no, it's really not because you know what's coming and yeah. you know, I know that my when I wake up, my breakfast is going to taste good. Yeah. You know, I know I'm not eating some burnt fridge toast or something <laughs> like that. You know, it's going to taste good. So, um, yeah, I eat my breakfast. Then right now I'm in a summer class. So I'll work on some summer school or I'll go work. I'll find something to do, you know, it, each from that moment on after I eat my breakfast, it looks a little different each day. Yeah especially uh dependent on it's dependent on the season of life i'm in but yeah yeah the first hour and a half of my day is is the same talk us talk to us about work ethic and some of your introductions to hard work oh yeah i don't see we have a different perception of what hard work is today my grandfather grew up you having to use an outhouse Okay, he, he knows what hard work is. He has a different expectation, a different perception, literally, of what hard work is. So fifth or sixth grade comes around, and my first job is to help him on the farm. And, man, at that point, he's 73, 74 years old, and he is still getting after it. Today, he is. And today, he's 80, and he's still getting after it. You can't slow that guy down. <laughs> and so that's just how he's made, you yeah. know. He grew up in the country, you know. They a very that. highly educated, like yeah. retired engineer, like brilliant yeah. guy. Brilliant guy. And um, they everything they had, they worked for. It's just that simple. And they worked hard. Nothing was easy for them. So I learned very quickly that hard work is not fun. <laughs> no, it's not always fun. Especially when you have to weed eat in the blazing hot sun, 90 degree sun for six seven hours so i'm gonna pause and, you for just yeah. a second are you exaggerating when you say you've had to hold a weed eater and go through multiple tanks of gas weed eating fence rows all day uh, yeah multiple it takes <laughs> took multiple days okay Con multiple consecutive days okay. <laughs> he's got 80 acres to weed eat his his place and and i wasn't fast back then as a six year grader. you know you, you're slow like right now, I could do it quicker because you know I'm stronger and I know what I'm doing. But you know, I didn't know what I was doing back then. I was just sweating. I was just waiting to eat a Kit Kat when I went in for lunch. That's the only thing that got me through the day. 
so is he the kind of guy that is like chris great job well done was he just like praise 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 or was it completely different like what what was it like he's a very mellow guy okay he's a very mellow guy and he's not the kind of guy that's going to pull you aside and say what a wonderful job you did weeding today man those fences have never looked that good in the past five years he's not gonna say that he's gonna say like all right i'll see you tomorrow <laughs> you know so that busted your bubble like everything's praise 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 and all of a sudden you're like yeah. what what yeah so which was good for a young man in particular you know you need some some hard work to do you need somebody to be hard on you um so you can develop discipline and that's really probably where the train got moving, you know, because yeah. I, I knew how to be conscientious and I knew what hard work was and it wasn't hard for me to, you know, do it, do anything with discipline after that. So did you show up late? Nope. Nope. If he's and whenever we moved over here to the farm, because we're right next door neighbors, if he said be there at eight o'clock, he'll make fun of me for this too i would literally roll up at eight o'clock on the dot no earlier no later which don't worry at my job now i get there early but over there i'm getting every minute i can to myself before i have to go work and now since i i don't do that work anymore i'm i miss a lot of the a lot of it you know it, it was it was good for me and i miss certain parts of it just the simplicity of it and it was it was very good for me and i mentioned that papal doesn't give you praise much and but when he does it's a big it's, deal it'll hit you hard because man if he gives you praise you must have done something right <laughs> you know so. oh this is so funny well yeah i appreciate that i wanted people to mention that too because you know you you did and it we, we've been helping out there for years and i mean we have our own farm and it, it's intense and and by the way let's go back to your motivation point it is nothing motivating about taking care of a sick animal at two in the morning in an ice storm or whatever it is yeah you do it you're disciplined to do it because it's beyond you it's not about you and and it was pretty neat watching you have those experiences and at the time you don't appreciate them but now knowing that the day was going to come where you really appreciate those experiences and you've been able to say that's impacted you but in the middle of it you're just like this sucks so bad and it's pretty cool because i like to ask you because you know i've been leading for a while but you're 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 new into the field you've seen a lot tell us about some things that leaders do that you have seen that are really impactful for you as a young professional coming up yeah for sure um and like you said i've been around a lot of ph phenomenal leaders you you in particular i mean you're a great leader and you're my dad that's just you raised me so i take a lot of it for granted but i i got the opportunity to work at a new church that started my junior year my friends parents they started it and they both have been in ministry for a very long time they've worked around some very popular people in the christian realm that are phenomenal and they're they're good leaders just simply put they they know how to get things done and one of the th I, th I thought about this the other day one of the things that i think is very important in a very a very big part of a good leader i'll put it that way is a is that they amplify the voice of their employees or their lesser thans 
rather than suppressing their voice. So like they make you feel listening or they make you feel like you are heard. They make you feel like when you're talking to them that what you have to say is like the most important part of their day right right then and there. So they're amplifying your voice. They're not suppressing it saying, oh, I got better things to do, you know, or this is really how it's done. This is how it should be. You know, I'm they're just kind of playing you off. It's not that way. They amplify your voice rather than suppressing it. They they know how to listen. You can put it that way. So there's a book, and I want to talk to you about this. It's actually in the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Stephen Covey. And he, he talks about that, and, and one of the effective things that we should do is we need to actively listen until the other person feels that we understand them. Yeah. And you're right. They have that ability, and it is powerful to be able to see. And uh, now that you say that, us as leaders— um, and, and back to your, you don't want to feel like somebody's burdening you, especially in your, in your leadership. Like you're dealing with the same mm-hmm. problem for 10 years. The new person's dealing with the problem, but they come to you. Do you sit, do you sit down and let them take you on their journey because they've never experienced before? Or do you be like, oh yeah, we've dealt with that. Talk to John, talk to Sally. They've taken care of it before. I don't have time for you. But what you're saying is as a job, as a leader, you need to actively listen a hundred percent attentively not being on your phone and connect with them yeah and another big thing another big part of that is to never assume things tell me more man this is my language yeah if you assume things you're gonna get it wrong every time because human beings are complex that's simply put if you assume that this task didn't get done because of x reason Mm -hmm. Nine times out of 10, probably 10 times out of 10, you're going to be wrong. So you need to go find out exactly why that didn't happen with as little emotion as you can. And that's another good uh, trait of a good leader. It's a, it's a huge one. And you, I don't know where you've got that from. It's something that we have talked about um, in the professional setting that I'm in is every, here's the key and, and everybody listen to this, please. This is so, so important in all of the years of leading and Chris has discovered it, uh, discovered it as well. People typically don't do have intentions to do harm. Yeah. They really want to do the right thing. And it's drama is associated with it. But if you get through all of the drama and get to the root, they were doing it because they cared. Most people are not criminals and want to come after you and do something wrong. We're all good-hearted people that care about each other. And the next thing you know, it's blown out of proportion. But that is such a key thing, Chris, that that you mentioned that I think we all, if, if we've heard it before, we need to rehear it. If you haven't, really try try that. It's really, really powerful and, and makes a difference. Yeah. So listen, listen to people Yeah. and don't assume things. What opportunities do you see, you know, for us in medicine from your perspective with an 18-year-old? Maybe it relates to technology. Maybe it's because of, you know, leadership development and training. You know, more people are interested in that. Tell us about opportunities you see. Yeah, I see a, a world of opportunity, um, especially, yeah, especially in the medical field, period. Because, okay. I mean, this past year, you've had some really advanced artificial intelligence technologies come out yeah i mean so 
technology is going to play a huge part in all of our lives and for for the next however long. Yeah. And you grew you up know. in that by the way. Yeah. It already does play a huge part of play a huge part in our lives, but it's even going to be more exaggerated yeah. in the next 10 years and yeah. so on and so on. So, as far as that goes, as far as technology goes, there's a lot of opportunity there. You know, for EMS in specific, you have a lot of agencies going to 2472. Mm-hmm. A lot of agencies are bumping their pay yeah. because I mean, it's a hard job. Yeah. Um you know, there's other reasons too. The mental health is better than it's ever been. You know, when you were in the 90s and stuff, it was looked down upon to mm-hmm. be depressed or to have PTSD. That was literally looked down upon. Yes. Now it's like, hey, come to me. Let's have a conversation about this. Let's go to counseling. Let's fix this before it conquers your life. Let's yeah. <laughs> conquer the dragon before it conquers you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <It's> great <laughs> for longevity, right? It is yeah. absolutely, just absolutely key. Yeah. So those are just a few things. I mean, there's more, but those are just off the top okay. of my head. Is there any, you know, closing things that, that you have on your mind that you want to share? Yeah. I would say invest into young people because they're like a blank slate. They have a world of opportunity before them. They have, you know, they have a lot of potential. That's what I want to say. Okay. They have the ability to learn a lot of things really quickly from the age of like 18 to 26. You know, your IQ maxes at like 26 years old. So you're young and you have a lot of potential to learn, a lot of potential to become competent. So invest into young people and treat them not like they're a burden to society, but they are beneficial and that we need them because for the older people that are listening to this, the young people are going to be taking care of you Mm. in 20 years. You know, yeah. So you better treat them nice. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Um, so that invest in the young people. And then one more thing I'll say is everything that we're talking about today is purely theory. Okay. Unless you put it into practice. Mm. Like we, we talked about um, good qualities and leaders. Yeah. They, they don't assume things and they listen. Mm-hmm. Take those two points and try to execute them for the next month or the next week. Just that one point, and it could potentially change your life. I get into trouble a lot when because I listen to so many podcasts that if I'm not listening to a podcast, listening to a podcast, I don't feel like I'm productive. Mm, me too. So like if when in reality I'm listening to all these podcasts and all this information just flying right over my head and I'm not gaining anything from it. Yeah. So be productive and listen to these podcasts and maybe some others read books and get one point or five points or whatever it is, take them out and put them into practice. Because if you don't do that, everything just becomes theory and it just becomes meaningless. And theory is just like a cloud with a bunch of ideas in it, you know, until you take them out of the cloud and get them down here on the ground and put them into practice. That's when they're useful. Chris, I I just want to tell you that, you know, there, there are people that you meet that you are inspired by. And um, yes, you're my son, but but truly I am inspired by, by you. I, I sincerely mean that. So I just wanted to say thank you. And I really appreciate you spending time with us. Yeah, I'm super thankful for this opportunity. And I'm glad we got to have this conversation today. It's been fun, you know. I hope everybody listening to this Go go and make the world a better place. You know, you got a lot of opportunity before you, so you better start taking advantage of it, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so there you go. There you go. That's Christopher Claus for you, one-on-one. <laughs>
I am so grateful that I was able to share this conversation with you today. Please share this episode with others and give it a five-star review. Remember that TIMSA conference is approaching quickly and is scheduled for July 19th through the 21st. Please check out the TIMSA website for registration information and the agenda. We would love to see you there. Until next time, remember, be intentional about your leadership journey and remember that you are the most important person that you will ever lead.